Hey there all, I am Dan Klein and this is I'm Bored. This is a podcast created so I could talk to my friends, entertain you, uh, and basically not go mad during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, joined today by longtime collaborator and friend Jason Tomaszewski. Jason, how are you? Well, we're doing all right. Are, are the kids back in pretend school? Uh, well, yeah, so this past week was the first week of like real, you know, quote unquote, real distance learning. So we're going to we're going to continue that uh, this coming week, starting tomorrow. So do you as an, now, how are you managing this? Because. Uh, Not well. <laughs> yeah, you, you both work like, and your wife has to go to work. And Yeah, she, she physically has to be there. I am fortunate enough to be able to, to do my job from home, which means a lot of um, calls like these, uh, but also um, muting myself during calls like these so I can go sort out long division. Yeah, I, I have to say, I find a lot of, uh, presumption on the part of the, the school departments. I've gotten a lot of like emails like, uh, you know, you're as a parent, you have a major place in this. And they're not, they do not reply emails or else my reply would be, my role in this is to make sure he has a working computer and an internet. And if he has a specific question, I'll try to help after working hours. You know, if I wasn't working and, and obviously, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't, you know, perhaps I'd be willing to help more, but my son's 16. I can't help him in most things aside from uh, history and English. And frankly, I don't like the way a lot of things are taught. So what I would teach him probably isn't how he's being taught anyway. Uh, but that is not our subject today. We are going to, uh, we are the co-authors of a book called Worst Ideas Ever. And we're going to be going through in the next few weeks, a lot of worst lists uh, in, in this case. And, and Jason, I think next week, I, I maybe want to try to find the worst cereals of all time. And maybe we that's a list we have to put together. Like breakfast uh, cereal or? Yeah, because so okay. I, before this happened, uh, I was in the grocery store. And there is a Hershey's Kiss breakfast cereal. Have you seen don't get this it. cereal? Yes, don't buy it. I, we bought it. We tried it. It's save your money. Okay, tell me which popular emoji it looks like. Well, you can say that about Hershey's Kisses. Yes, but it's a very unappetizing, like sort of, you know. Well, look, shape notwithstanding, it doesn't taste good. Yeah, so it doesn't taste good is not a ringing endorsement for a cereal that couldn't possibly be good for you. So as this clearly brings up, and again, we might have to do some online browsing to put this together. Um, and we will talk about as a category, the large amount of 80s and 90s cereals where they just took a popular celebrity, threw in some marshmallows, and you got things like Mr. T cereal, yes. uh, which was no different than Pac-Man cereal. It was just a different shape. So that is a show you all have to look forward to. We will probably try to tape that next weekend. I apologize. We had tried plan to tape this last week, but I am doing two or three hours a day of live video at work. I work for The Motley Fool. We are doing some wonderful stuff for investors. If randomly in the middle of this, I give you my opinion about Zoom stock, that is just a reflex. Uh, it, is, it is now not, uh, it, it's like the many years, Jason, where my home phone would ring and I would say, good afternoon, the ladder and scaffolding. That's great. Uh, many years after I worked there, obviously I grew up with that as well. So uh, an ingrained kind of thing for me, but we are going to talk about uh, 
10 popular 80s movies that are actually terrible. And whether we think they're terrible, whether we thought they were terrible at the time, um, and this is a list done by the folks at Cin Cinema Blend, uh, written by Sean O'Connell. So thank you for putting this list together, Sean. Uh, thank you, Cinema Blend, for giving us something to talk about. Uh, we did not look at this list beforehand, so we're hitting this blind. Jason, the first movie on this list uh, is thought of as a classic by many people. And I'm going to have you set up the premise here. Uh, it's 1989's Weekend at Bernie's. Wow, classic is, that. that's painting with a broad brush there, cult classic perhaps. Uh, th this is the dead guy walking film. Uh, Bernie, Bernie drops dead and they need to, the, the Andrew McCarthy and I'm gonna forget who the other guy is, uh, need to make it look like Bernie isn't dead so they can get through a weekend uh, and save their jobs. Uh, and more importantly, they were invited to Bernie's like lavish house for the weekend and yeah. they, they didn't wanna let him dying interrupt their vacation. So, uh, and there's a whole convoluted plot. I think the mob is involved and because Bernie's alive, it makes them a target. At the time, I never thought this was a great movie. I thought this was sort of like a trifle of a movie that you watch like on HBO back when HBO only had like seven movies and three of yeah. them were, were Grease 2. Uh, cool. So, so I, I, you know, th this was the absolute highlight of the uh, the career of Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman, or the end of the highlights that, of it. That's, I couldn't think of Jonathan Silverman's name. This spawned uh, a sequel. It, it spawned a sequel that is dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's, you talk about diminishing returns, like Weekend at Bernie's 2, I don't even remember what the tagline was, like, you know, Bernie's debtor, like, how, well, how, did they, how, how are they keeping from decomposing? I feel like it turned out he wasn't dead and that he died or I don't know, very confusing. Yeah. Uh, so number two on the list, uh, we have a movie that is a sequel. It is a sequel to a classic. Uh, this is National Lampoon's European Vacation. This is part of Chevy Chase's If the Check Clears, I Will Make the Movie phase. Yeah, but you're right. Like the first one is a stone cold classic. Like it, it just well, a, as close to a, I would say, perfect comedy as you could get. And then they just gutted it? Well, it's not that they gutted it. So uh, there's something we talked about last time that I think is really important to remember here. Now, a series can get bigger as it goes. So Fast and the Furious 35 or whatever it is that's coming yeah. out, it, it, it has like, I don't know, is John Cena in this one? The last one had The Rock. Like, Probably. Like, like five from now, they're going to have like 80s wrestler tugboat. Like we are not, we are yeah. not going in the right direction here. Uh, but 80 sequels, 90 sequels were diminishing returns. So A, you had to make the movie cheaper. And B, the sequel tended to just be the first movie, but in a different location. So now yeah. it's, di it's die mean, hard in a boat. And this is just vacation, but in Europe. And you've seen the jokes before. Yeah, well, well, I suppose that's the problem I have with it is like they, they spent more just shooting in actual European locations than they did making the original. The original vacation was shot on a, a shoestring budget. It was just the, 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 tr the, the family truckster and, you know, two vans full of uh, crew following them uh, as they actually drove cross country. With this, this they're, they're actually shooting in Paris. They're shooting in London. Like, I, I, I don't know where the money, well, I know where the, I can tell you where the money went instead of telling a, a cohesive story, and look, the, the first vacation is a very loose story, but it was 
a story that had a beginning, middle, and end, and they got into hijinks along the way. In this, this is just a series of SNL skits that are, are completely disjointed. Yeah, and, and it's, look, I, the original Vacation is very clever. It's not actually as funny as you thought it was at the time, but it does hold up well. Uh, but this one is really, is this also the one where they changed the kids, where it was no longer the same actors playing uh, the kids? Oh, they did the, 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 the kids. They, they didn't use the same actors twice for the kids. <laughs> Beverly wow. D'Angelo was the only one in um, uh, once. Uh, no, uh, Randy Quaid was not in this one, but Beverly D'Angelo and Randy Quaid are the only two that ever like popped up more than once. So we're going to go with a movie that I absolutely hated at the time that certainly goes into the cash a paycheck uh, category. This is Look Who's Talking, part of the uh, John Travolta 80s comeback, uh, a different comeback than his later comeback. But the premise of this is there is a baby that can talk, but it's delivering jokes and only certain people can hear it. Do I remember this correctly? Uh, you're sort of right. Like he, you, we, the audience, can hear his inner monologue, and his inner monologue is voiced by Bruce Willis. Okay, so he's rooting for John Travolta to marry his mom, who is Kirstie Alley. Uh, this is back at a time where Kirstie Alley wasn't the crazy Scientologist. She was Kirstie Alley, the attractive woman from Cheers. Uh, yeah. So this, this was, I would say, peak Kirstie Alley and somewhere close to... Uh, until the current lows but in the comeback of john travolta this is near the low though it was a massive financial hit which i don't understand because i agree with you when like at when this came out at the time i remember being completely underwhelmed like is this a kids movie is it is it meant to be a, a general audience comedy i, yeah, I don't know where they're going with it it's a family movie and it's just this gimmick there were a lot of them where a talking and it's described here at cinema blend is a talking fill in the blank delivers all the jokes Uh, if you you remember as the series went on it it was literally a a fill in the blank because it went from the 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 main baby to he had a baby sister who was voiced by her inner monologue was voiced by roseanne barr and then i like two or three sequels after that it was the dog and I blame this for Boss Baby. Uh, <laughs> so the next on our list uh, just makes the cut, a 1980 release, not one I can talk about, because as you know, Jason, I am afraid of the dark. I do not like scary movies. Uh, this is Friday the 13th, the movie that introduces the sort of concept of a bunch of good-looking teenagers for some reason hang out at an abandoned summer camp uh, and then do all the wrong things when it comes to protecting themselves from a serial killer. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, but I, I, I do not believe that this film belongs on this list of films that uh, aren't as good as you remember, because this literally invented the slasher genre. Like, I mean, it's, it's cliched now about a, a bunch of teens going to an abandoned summer camp, but that didn't exist prior to this. Well, uh, all that... You're talking, the, about, you're talking about groundbreaking, uh, you know, genre filmmaking here. Okay, maybe it's not as gory or as, uh, you know, blood-filled as some films are now. Certainly not uh, those horror porn films like Saw or Hostel. But, uh, I mean, this, this created a whole genre of films. But is this just one of those things that it, it didn't age well in the way that something that was groundbreaking in its time? Uh, an example I'll give in comedy, I Love Lucy. I understand why that was groundbreaking comedy. It's absolutely dreadful. 
to watch now. It's super slow. The nothing about it is inventive because it created those cliches. I understand that if you've never seen it before, it's it's very inventive. But if you've lived through the past 30 years, it's really hard to go back. And I found that to be the case with movies that I was really scared of. Uh, some of the Stephen King adaptations now are laughably bad, but the books are actually still terrifying because your mind is filling in the details. Yeah, as I opposed- don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying, but comedy is is weird uh, in that way. Like, you, once you've heard the joke, you you you've heard the joke. I mean, there, there's um, incredibly diminishing returns for like stand-up routines. You can only watch a stand-up routine so many times before you fail to laugh out loud, like you did the first time you saw it. With with horror or with with general filmmaking. Uh, I mean, I don't know, you know, Hitchcock films, Notorious is still a great piece of cinema. Citizens Kane is still uh, an amazing work of of, uh, visual storytelling. So so there's two kind of errors. There's the error you're referring to where they didn't have all the techniques. So to make a horror film, you essentially had to Jaws it. And in Jaws, famously, they didn't really have the budget or the technology to show you the scary shark for any length of time. It didn't work. It just... So, so it's actually scarier due to the menace of the shark. Yeah. Part of the problem with 80s horror movies or 90s, you know, all of the, uh, the, the, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies is they had too much confidence in terrible special effects. So I believe it was Johnny Depp who got eaten by a bed and there was yes. blood everywhere. Yes. At the time, I'm sure I was absolutely scared. Now, it looks like something I could make myself and send you as a gif. It, is, it did not age well in any way. And now we're going to go to a film that I don't know who ever considered this a classic. Uh, the movie is Police Academy. The premise of Police Academy is a bunch of screw-ups have to become police officers for some reason that's not fully explained well. And of course, all those screw-ups come together under the lead of Steve Gutenberg, the king screw-up, uh, who was literally the leading box office figure by dollar in the 80s uh, because of movies like this and Police Academy, but sp- Police Academy spawned like what, like I don't know, seventeen sequels, like a there real a lot. lot. Yeah, like, yeah, but there were like the last like five, I think, were like right to straight to video. Well, and the last five were down to having just like like outlying characters, like the lady who talks really quietly, but when she gets mad, she yells. Like, yeah, Bobcat Goldthwait was the headliner for like the last three. <laughs> Uh, so I never thought it was a classic. That said, the original Police Academy is, again, it's one of those, like, dumb, watch it on HBO. Like, it, it wasn't a bad movie. It was mildly entertaining. It had some good gags. Uh, I would never have called it a classic, but I would also say, like, it's probably one if you threw on for your kids. Now, don't do that. There's there's some things your kids shouldn't be watching in that movie yeah. uh, not the sequel so much but but i yeah. I, I believe there's a I, police there's academy was, scenes, yeah yeah it was r-rated uh, so you know but yeah this, they were using it's it's described as the animal house uh, in the cinema blend article slobs versus snobs formula yeah it was is, completely i mean I, I don't remember the the, the name of the, the the antagonist character i remember commandant lassard he was the the sort of dim-witted but um uh benevolent uh, commandant of the, the police force and his like direct underling was like the, the guy who wanted his job and like, he was he was the villainous character I can't remember what his character's name was yeah it's the guy who was later on uh, uh, Major Crimes and, and I'm forgetting the, the name of the Kira Sedgwick series that was before that the, the closer oh yes where, yes. where it was it was very bizarre because I loved those shows 
but he became a serious sort of curmudgeonly cop, but he looks exactly the same except a little grayer. So yeah. it's like, hey, wait a minute. Like, no, do the wacky, like, jerk thing from Police Academy. Like, uh, good for him that while he was typecast as a cop, he was able to play a different type of cop. I think it's fair to say that this series ruined Steve Gutenberg's career because he became the Police Academy guy, and that is impossible to get over. I don't know about that. I mean, after this, I mean, yeah, they made a bunch of other ones that he was in, Police Academy movies, but he did he did Cocoon, he did Three Men and a Baby, which was a massive hit. Um, I think I think he did all right for the next six, seven years after Police Academy. Yeah, except the thing is, he became a guy in a movie. You know, Three Men and a Baby is a high-concept movie. It's going to have a star or two, and then it's going to have people that are credible on the big screen. Uh, And he was able to fill that role for a long time. There's a whole bunch of like 90s movies where it's like a kid's soccer team and Steve Gutenberg's the dad. And it's like, oh, I know him. Like, like he is a person I believe could be in a movie. So, you know, he's had a long career. I will give him credit that he starred in something. I think it was on, might've been Comedy Central. It was called Lava Lantula with many of the it was tarantulas that also could shoot lava, of course, I, as, if I need to ex- as if I needed to explain that. You've all seen it. Um, but it had many of the police academy people. And, of course, they all had to do their police academy shtick. And, like, I don't felt tell me, Don't tell me Michael Winslow showed up. Oh, absolutely. Here's the thing. Michael Winslow will come to your house and make noises now for 10 bucks. Like, he, he, he does stand-up. And his bit is he could sound like a horn. Like that's. that's... <laughs> Listen, you want to talk about things that are, are, are uh, you know, you're looking back through nostalgia classes. Michael Winslow could do three sounds. That's what he could. He, he could make a siren. He could make a horn and he could do a beep up boop, like 1980s, 70s era computer sound. That was it. But they made it like if, if you think about Michael Winslow or his reputation is like he was this, this chameleon of sound. He can make any any sound uh, you know, through, through his mouth, and it sounds exactly like whatever it's supposed to be, whether it's a, you know, a rooster or a, a car backfiring, or it doesn't but, matter. But I always wondered, like, if you went to see him, are people yelling out like, do a horn, do the horn. It's like- Because he's yeah. only got three. It's that, the computer, and- <laughs> I'm guessing he, he has a few others that he could pull out. So the next movie we're talking about, um, and again, I'm not sure this was a classic. I think this was pretty much mocked at the time. This is Cocktail. This is a movie. So, Jason, are you a Bar Rescue fan? Uh, I'm familiar with the show. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a fan. So I love Bar Rescue. Uh, They go into failing bars, and John Taffer, who is a a bar science expert, (laughs) that is a category he made up, clearly. He has these crazy bug eyes that look like he's about to burst out of his skull at all times. He goes in, and he tells the bar owner everything they're doing wrong. And it's usually terrible. It's usually like there's rats in the food. There's, you know, like black mold on the liquor bottles. They always bring in a mixologist, like a person to show the bartenders how to make drinks and to create a drink program. Great. I like that. I am a, a definitely a bar snob. I, I want a well-done fancy cocktail. That I, I love that. But they always chide them about, and I take this from cocktail, when they do the shaker, they always want them to shake the drink as if they were like a, 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 like a maniacal cheerleader, like over their shoulders. I, I've been in a lot of bars. 
I have never seen a person shake a drink this way. I do not want my bartender to shake. This does not show enthusiasm. This just seems crazy. And cocktail is about a bar where people go to the bar because the bartenders do like bar flipping with the with the bottles and they're juggling bottles. Well, that, and well, that was one bar. Oh, and Jason, you have bounced off your mic. So why don't you, uh, either your internet connection is out or something is going on. So I'm going to talk about cocktail for a couple of minutes while Jason figures that out. Yeah, this was the typical high concept 80s Tom Cruise movie, where basically you walked into an executive's office and said, hey, what if Tom Cruise was a bartender? Uh, and they're like, all right, great. And then when that's done, they're like, hey, what if Tom Cruise was a race car driver? So basically, these were Mad Libs movies. It, it, they would say, what if Tom Cruise is, and then it would say noun, and you could sort of just fill it in. Jason, guess, were, hey, uh, there you uh, are. Yeah, um, you're right to a degree, but you got to, like, mid to late 80s Tom Cruise, you could, you could sell tickets just based on Tom Cruise showing up. Like, he was that, well, it still is kind of that big a deal. And... You know, with with this, it's. It, it, I think it's less about the the, the shaky shaky and more about uh, you know his, you know megawatt smile and Elizabeth Shue's figure. Yeah, and, you know, and, but look, if in 1987, if you walked in and said, "Okay, Tom Cruise is a dentist," that would get approved. Like you'd get yes. a green light right away. And just because, like, okay, Tom Cruise is a race car driver makes some sense that was a bad movie but at least race car drivers do something that lends to story they had to create this whole world where bartending was somehow competitive and i know this is based on real bars in jamaica and i've been to bars that that do this kind of thing first of all as a bar customer i do not want this as a bartender, I wouldn't want to have to do this. I want a bartender to, when I say I would like a Manhattan, to not have to look up the ingredients. That is my test of a bartender. To, to be fair, you're, you're more likely to, uh, to patronize you know, stories or, you know, some dimly lit, uh, you know. And Jason, you are bouncing in and out again. So I don't know if you're moving away from the mic or you're having connectivity well, issues. How's this? Uh, yeah, you're good. So I, I think okay. you're, you're bouncing away from your mic. It, yeah, look, I, I am a big fan of, uh, let's call them mixology bars. I like a bar that has interesting takes on some of my favorites. Uh, the, the bar near my office in Alexandria, Virginia is called The Trademark. And they do a Manhattan that's just a subtle twist on the classic. Uh, and it's served over one single uh, giant ice cube and it just works. You mentioned Gordon Ramsay, uh, his steakhouse in Baltimore. And frankly, at some point when this is over, perhaps you and I will go there. Uh, it's in the Horseshoe Casino and they do a drink. And I forget what the name of the drink was, but it's served over a green tea uh, ice cube. And the green tea melts into your drink as you drink and it, it flavors it and it's delightful. So yeah, I like the fancy drinks, but I don't need the bartender to like you know, have all the bottles pour in the air and all crazy stuff happen. Just, just pour my drink. That's okay. Uh, did, did you see this movie when it came out? I've seen this movie more than once because it happens to be one of my wife's favorites. Um, that's not an indictment on my wife's taste. She just really likes late 80s Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of an indictment, but I don't think she's listening. So, <laughs> it's, uh, so, so the next movie on this list, no person thought this was a good movie at the time. Uh, so the, the movie here is Mannequin. Uh, again, Andrew McCarthy, uh, earlier in Weekend at Bernie, so maybe that wasn't his, his career highlight. His career highlight may be Mannequin, 
Uh, and Mannequin uh, is, he falls in love with a mannequin and she comes to life. And he comes to life first, then he falls in love with her. Oh, okay. That, that, that makes it a little less creepy. Oh. I, and I, I saw this in the theater. So. You know what? So did I. I. I remember seeing this with my brother in 1987 at the, at the theater. And Jason, same thing. You were bouncing in and out. So I don't know if you're wearing a headset or uh, we, we were having some trouble here. So this is the height of just a concept movie. Uh, 80s had a lot of, you know, and, and much like Look Who's Talking, you know, what if the, we could hear the baby talk? You know, th this is that idea. You know, what if a mannequin came to life? What would that look like? And would she become real? And how would that go on? Um, this movie spawned a sequel, Mannequin 2 on the Move. Don't watch that movie. Wasn't that uh, completely recast? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, it was completely recast. It was done on the cheap. It's the same plot. Absolutely dreadful. We are heading into the home stretch here, uh, though, uh, to be fair, I did not count how many others, oh, 10, and I'm not sure exactly how far we are through. Uh, 1981's Mommy Dearest. Jason, is this one you want to take people through? It was uh, the Joan Crawford story. Uh, it, was pretty, it was like a biopic. Um, yeah, it's a biopic of, of Joan Crawford. Now, the thing it's most remembered for is the, the crazy overacting. Yeah, so, so Faye Dunaway is playing Joan Crawford. And I'm going to talk a little more because you, you're uh, better, but still in and out. Um, this was not supposed to be a comedy, but it is so over the top. It plays like a comedy. At the time, uh, this actually was a very well-reviewed movie. I want to say an award-nominated movie, but I excuse me, I might be wrong there. Uh, but this is a movie about domestic abuse, basically, that's played in a way that makes you laugh. And I don't know a lot about how you are supposed to handle domestic abuse on screen, but it should not be funny. Is that fair to say, Jason? Uh, yes, uh, agreed. Um, and and it's, it's full of unintentional comedies because, you know, she's still, yeah. I'm, I'm going to cut you off because you sound like the subject of our next movie. Uh, and that would be, you sound like Johnny Five, the star of Short Circuit. Uh, so the premise of Short Circuit is, uh, again, Steve Gutenberg. Good for the goots. He's in this one too, as is Ali Sheedy. Uh, the comment here on Cinema Blend is, both of whom seem to appear in just about everything for a stretch of years. That is sort of true. This is an experimental robot built during the Cold War that, quote, comes to life after being struck by lightning. It's a mix of E.T. and Pinocchio, according to Cinema Blend. That is a delightful description. So at the time, I very much like Short Circuit, but this time was 1986. I, I was, um, I don't know, in 1986, I was 13 years old. I really liked robots. It played to me as everything I wanted, a robot best friend. That would have been delightful. Um, I would have preferred it be uh, Tweaky from Buck Rogers or R2-D2, but number five would have been fine. Not a classic, did not age well in any way, uh, but an enjoyable movie at the time. If you have young kids, probably an enjoyable movie. Uh, Jason, let's see if you actually come through. If not, I'm going to cut you off. The single was tremendous from DeBarge. Oh, wow. Jason, you want to you wanna clue us in here? I, I remember it vaguely in the back of my head. Who's Johnny? Because the, the, the robot's name was Johnny Five, and DeBarge <laughs> cut the, the, the title track, Who's Johnny? Uh, that, and, and so DeBarge helps us seg to the next two movies, uh, which create, and this is, these are the last two on the list. Um, oh, and, you're going to be so angry. 
Uh, so no, because I knew these were bad movies. Um, and the, it, it's two films. It's Breakin' and Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo. And while Jason and I have never successfully sold a sequel to any of our books, the sequel to Worst Ideas Ever was absolutely being called Worst Ideas Ever 2 Electric Boogaloo. Uh, because frankly, anything I opened, if I ever open a restaurant, it will be called Electric Boogaloo. In, this, in your estimation, this, this, this is better than The Godfather Part 2. It's better than Empire Strikes Back. This is the greatest <laughs> sequel ever made. All right, so you literally just named two of my actual favorite movies. So no. And this is during like the early days of rap when a bunch of white people didn't know what rap was. So they're like, let's have some kids break dance and rap. And what is the plot going to be? The plot's always the same. A mean business developer, basically Donald Trump, though they didn't call him 80s Donald Trump, was going to buy the community center. And it's always like turning into something terrible, like a factory that turns babies into food, like, you know, like <laughs> some horrendous use. Uh, and there was always a contest that kids could enter that somehow would produce enough money to save the community center. Right. The, the, the breakdancing co contest, the first prize is 50 grand and that'll do it. Yeah. And like th th there was no attempt to like sway goodwill in the community. There was no public relations. It was always left up to a plucky group of teens, which seems like there's some very irresponsible adults in this community if they're leaving the community center's fate to whether they can break dance. And Jason, do you remember the character names of this movie? I remember them being uh, Turbo. 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 He was one. Uh, boy, I'm going to not remember anybody else. Just Turbo. And, and Jason, let me ask. Uh, so in the year is 1984. How much breakdancing are you doing? Oh, you know the story. I, I checked out of my school library a book on how to breakdance. <laughs> uh, did you learn how to breakdance or did you just think you learned how to breakdance? I had three moves and I was never able to master the head spin. So were you literally like throwing a piece of cardboard down? And yes, I had a dedicated piece of cardboard that I would bring to the playground <laughs> in elementary school. And that like, I'd, I'd lay my book out. And I, I, I would recheck it out because you had to bring it back after a week. Uh, and I'd recheck it out so I could master my three breakdancing moves. So this is before what we now call cultural appropriation, <laughs> where, where back in the 80s, it was totally acceptable to do whatever you wanted. Like if you saw Karate Kid and you wanted to, to, to be Mr. Miyagi, you could absolutely do the voice and everything. It was a very different, uh, now we know, terrifically racist time period. But at the time, it was done out of love. Uh, Jason, what do you think... We're going to talk cereal next time. Anything else on your radar as to like the worst we might look at? Oh boy, that's that's a big question. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking. I I can't get this uh, image of breaking two out of my 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 head right now. Um, so I have an idea for one of these movies, and I really think it's 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 a great idea. So you do the movie where you set up the villainous real estate developer, and he's going to turn the baseball field and the child care center for underprivileged kids and the homeless shelter into, I don't know, a golf course, like something truly terrible. That's and the, the Goonies. And the kids do their best. The kids try, they enter the talent show and they lose and it becomes a golf course because that's what happens in real life. <laughs> there, there is no magical uh, 
surprise that happens to equal just the amount of the budget. Or maybe if they fundraise and raise the budget, these places are perpetually in danger of becoming terrible things that only rich people need. Uh, so I'm all in favor of having some movies. I, I, I've always liked this too. I want to see a horror movie that has like the Empire Strikes Back ending where it's just really bad where like everybody dies where there, there is no vanquish the bad guy scene. Um, what was that, the, that's got to exist, boy. It, it, it does. What, what was the one where uh, uh, Steven Seagal was billed in a movie with Kurt Russell? And it yeah, that was um, the, uh, they kill him in the first five minutes. It's, it, that, that's one of my favorites. So this is at the height of Steven Seagal. This isn't like ridiculous yeah. 600 pound wearing like a weird AstroTurf wig at Steven Seagal. This well, is it like an executive decision. It was executive called executive order or something like that. Executive decision. It is the most shocked I've ever been in a movie. Uh, more shocked than, you know, Luke, I'm your father, because they simply didn't do this. He was billed as the star of the movie. This was a Steven yeah. Seagal film, and he is killed right away. They, they, they did the Hitchcock. It was Tippi Hedren dying in the first 20 minutes of Psycho. So on that note, having just ruined Executive Decision for you, a movie that probably came out in 1987, so if you didn't see it by now, it's not our fault. Uh, this has been I'm Bored. I am Dan Klein. He is Jason Tomaszewski. We will do this again. Uh, Jason, thank you for joining me. Thanks a lot.